Matthew chapter 13. It's good to see you here this morning. And I want to begin by referring to a verse out of Zechariah. It says, do not despise the day of small things. And in our text this morning, I'll confess it's, it's very encouraging what Jesus says. And a lot of times what we do when we meet on Sunday mornings is we talk about the application and we sometimes save that towards the end. But I want to tell you up front why this is such an encouraging text uh, for us to study this morning. The main reason that this text is so encouraging and ought to be encouraging to you is because we have all messed up in the last few days. There's not a single person in this room who has lived perfectly. If we're all honest, we all can think of different areas in our lives where either we've messed up big time and we think, how could God make any progress with a person like me? How is it that God can bring about this work of of redemption and, and conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ when I see so little progress. Or maybe it's a little thing that a lot of people would say, that's not really a big deal, don't, don't beat yourself up about it, but it weighs on your heart and you think the same thing. What I think you need to realize is that you are way more influenced by the culture than you might realize. I don't know when it happened, per se, and there's probably not a precise date that we can say, here's the, the line in the, in the sand of history where this happened, but somewhere along the way in church history, we began to equate bigger with better. The bigger a church is, the better it must be. The bigger the event, the better. The bigger the band, the better, the, the bigger the auditorium or, or the sanctuary or the, the uh, concert arena. And I, I don't want to downplay, downplay what God does through a lot of those things. I've, I've been involved in some of those things at a, a church we were at in Texas. We were five minutes from AT&T Stadium and we participated, our church participated in a uh, Greg Laurie, Harvest Crusade, evangelism thing. And you know how big AT&T Stadium is. I mean, that's a big thing. But where we go wrong is when we start thinking that that ought to be the norm. Or where we go wrong is when we start thinking that that's the way the kingdom of God always advances. See, a lot of times what we might think is... What God does is he does these great leaps and bounds and then everybody else just kind of catches up. That God does these explosive things. And we do see that, right? You go in the book of Acts and you see 3,000 added one day and thousands added the next day. And, and, and I'm willing to admit that those happen. But those are amazing and those are astounding precisely because 
That's the Spirit of God doing an amazing work. And we might look at that and say, oh, God's doing an amazing work over there. God's do- you might get newsletters. You might hear about God's doing an amazing, you know, 4,000 people got saved at this event in Africa or at this in Southeast Asia. And then you might come here on Sunday morning and you might think, and, and here I am, and I'm struggling. I'm taking it day by day. If that's you this morning and you're wondering, how is it that that kingdom which advances like that, is it advancing in my own life? Is God doing a work in my own life? And if he is, how come it doesn't look like that over there? Well, Jesus gives us a parable that tells us exactly why. In Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at two parables actually that teach the same basic truth. And the title of the sermon is Unimpressive Beginnings. Unimpressive Beginnings. Jesus has come to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, that that God and is establishing his kingdom is breaking into time and history and the coming of King Jesus. And you remember we talked about last time how these parables were, were... How is it that we saw evil and the kingdom growing at the same time? Where is this like groundbreaking, earth-shattering, you know, cosmos-remaking kingdom that we were expecting? And Jesus says, no, the, the, the wicked are going to grow up as the, and they're, they're going to come along just like with the kingdom of, of the wheat. The weeds are going to grow up as well. So he's correcting some of their thinking. Here, what he's correcting is, we're expecting the kingdom, right? And if you're talking about the kingdom of God, is it gonna, isn't it going to come with like a bang and a flash? Are there going to be fireworks and parades? Isn't there going to be like an announcement? Isn't there going to be a huge billboard? Aren't we going to put, you know, all these signs up? And Jesus says what? What is the kingdom like? Well, it's actually very unimpressive in its beginnings. Look at what he says in verse 31. Jesus presented another parable to them. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. So Jesus is talking about these unimpressive beginnings of the kingdom. Remember, the subject of the parables is the kingdom. And he says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed. And it's like leaven. It's like yeast. These very small, unimpressive, unobtrusive things that... When they do what they do, when they grow, when they spread, they actually do amazing things. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples, look, I have come and the kingdom of God has come, but it's not coming the way you might think. It's almost coming covertly. If that mustard seed is planted in the ground, nobody knows it's there, but it's growing. It goes unseen. It might happen out of sight. But it's growing. Now notice how Jesus emphasizes the smallness of the seed. He says he planted a mustard seed and it's the smallest of all the seeds, right? To his first century audience, 
the mustard seed was one of the smallest seeds. It's not an exaggeration. Jesus, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say Jesus didn't know what he was talking about because there are seeds that obviously are smaller, and this shows that Jesus is not God because he did not know that there are seeds that are smaller than mustard seeds. And there's, there's an argument to be uh, handled there, but at the same time, it's like, we all use language like this, right? You know, I had a steak last night, and it was one of the biggest steaks that has ever existed, right? Am I actually claiming that I had one of the biggest steaks that ever existed? No, I'm making a point, right? It's, it was big, and this is what Jesus is emphasizing. So he's emphasizing the smallness of the kingdom. Now, doesn't that kind of, does, is there like some cognitive dissonance here, Right? Because we always think of the bigness of the kingdom. Jesus says when it comes, it's coming small and very unimpressive. I mean, think about that. Look at Jesus. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he holds up this little mustard seed. Just imagine that you're there, you know. Or if he wanted to get somebody else's attention, you know, imagine if I stood up here and I said the kingdom of heaven is like the sunflower seed. What, do you see how like there's a dissonance there? You'd say, what? The kingdom of heaven is like that little seed? But that's what Jesus says. Why does he emphasize the smallness of it? Because he's teaching that there is something happening with this seed. And what happens? What well, says it's the smallest of seeds, but when it's grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now, why would Jesus say anything about birds and branches? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever read that and looked at it? The reason Jesus says that is because that's, that's a reference to Daniel 4. And if you go look at Daniel 4, it talks about there's coming a tree at the end of days that's going to grow up and it's going to provide shade and shelter and birds are going to rest on it. And so Jesus is making a claim about this tree from Daniel 4 that's a kingdom. He's saying this kingdom is going to grow and it's going to become a place of shade, shelter, and rest for the birds. And if you just want to, just to be totally explicit, he's saying there's going to be a kingdom that provides rest for people provides shelter for people even though it's coming small and unimpressive and when you think about church history doesn't this bear I mean just just think of the pattern here okay first of all let's start with Jesus right by all accounts according to Isaiah 53 when the Messiah was going to come he would have no form or beauty that we would esteem him or give him a second look we we like to think that if we were there in the first century we would automatically be able to identify Jesus like he would just kind of have like this glow and we would just say oh that's obviously Jesus no Jesus would have been so plain and so normal you would have walked right past him so here's this one Jewish man who is the son of God, but, but think about this. In, in the whole world, how many people were in the world? You had the Roman Empire going on. You had people spread out across the face of the earth, and yet the kingdom of God starts and breaks in with one man. What explodes after that, right? No. Because then he picks, what, 12 disciples. And three of those are in the elite club, so we go from one to three 
to 12, and those 12 become the foundation of the early church. And the gospel spreads through these 12 and through others. And, and think about all the people that, that share the gospel, and their names aren't in Scripture. Their names are lost to history, and yet God used them to advance the kingdom. Think about Paul. Let's be honest about Paul. Paul had a great career as a religious scholar, but before God chose him and God began using him, he was really a nobody. I mean, he was a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee, he was a religious scholar, but again, one man in the whole world, right? And he wasn't even that good. I mean, you remember what's on his resume, right? Persecution, assisting uh, in murder, right? And yet, God uses that one man, Paul, to take the gospel around the known world and plant churches. So the kingdom of God has unimpressive beginnings. In fact, we might say that that is the preferred method of kingdom growth. You say, Jason, I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not a Greg Laurie. I'm not a Tim Keller. I'm not any of these people. Good. Because you know who God loves to use? People like you. People like you who will never have your name on a plaque or a building and 500 years from now, nobody will know or really care. You'll be a leaf on an ancestry tree and that's it. Let that humble you a little bit. You will be a photograph on somebody's wall and they'll say, that's my great, 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 great grandpa or grandma and they did X, Y, Z. That is the type of people that God uses. It's an unimpressive beginning. In fact, I would say the more unimpressive you think you are, the more ripe you are for God to use you. We have to get out of this mindset that God somehow uses us based on our qualifications. That God looks at your resume and says, I see you have this education. I see you have this amount of training. No, God loves to use unimpressive people to do impressive, wonderful, glorious things. So that's the pattern that we see. And so I would suggest to you this morning that we change our way of thinking about how the kingdom of God advances. If the kingdom of God is planted and advances by these very small steps, you know what that means? That means that you can do something today, something small, something meaningful, something to help spread the message of the kingdom. You see, if we think the kingdom only advances by big events, you know what you do? You begin thinking that you can't spread the kingdom or that God can't use you. But what if it's an everyday, ordinary faithfulness by which God spreads the kingdom? So what I want you to begin thinking of is, if the gospel and the message of the kingdom spreads through unimpressive beginnings, it spreads through these small steps. You want to know how you can advance the kingdom? The kingdom of God advances when a husband simply dies to himself in loving service to his wife.
the, the kingdom of God spreads and the small sacrifices that a parent makes to make sure their children know Christ. The kingdom of God advances in the small acts of faithfulness in your job that are a testimony to others, that is an example to others. The kingdom of God spreads through regular, ordinary, faithful saints. If the gospel, the kingdom, spreads with these unimpressive beginnings, that's actually good news for all of us. Do you see how that frees us from any type of we that that there's something that we need to that there are settings and conditions that we have to manufacture in order for the kingdom of God to advance. The kingdom of God can advance in your house, it can advance in your work, it can advance in your own heart. Paul says in Philippians, right, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, right? So it's good news not only as the, the gospel spreads through you, but as the gospel spreads in you, as the message grows within you. So here's the other point I want to make. Your, your sanctification, you're becoming more like Christ. If we're honest, the, the progress that you make in becoming more like Christ, what matters is not the great leaps and bounds you make, but the every ordinary day faithfulness. In the small things, the kingdom of God, that seed is planted in you and grows and grows and grows. In the second parable, Jesus emphasizes this, but, but there's a little bit of a difference because with the tree, there is a height, there is a, a, a strength. In the second parable, there is a, an expanse, there's an expansion of the kingdom. He says, look at verse 33, he told them another parable that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. So here's this, this flour or, or yeast, however you want to think about it, some ingredient for making bread. And let's just use flour as an example because I know yeast is for, you know, how many, of, first of all, how many of you started making so much bread during COVID? Anybody go through like a bread making phase? I see one hand. All right, you can confess that you're in a good, you're in a safe place, okay? Uh, right. Um, so I, I know at our house when we try to make bread or like pizza crust, usually the ye the yeast is a very important thing. But let's just use flour as an example. I mean, how many of you, like, if you had flour on the counter, do you do you scoop it up and try to save what little bits on the counter and you put it back into your flour container does anybody do that no why why don't you she does it <laughs> I am not surprised okay what do most people why do why 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 do you not keep it well you have plenty and 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 contamination we're still having gotten to the reason I'm looking for what's that well lazy yeah I think we're getting into a little personal territory here I just don't do it because I don't want to I had to ask right 
Okay, well, let me ask you this way. Do any of you look at that little pile of flour and you look at each particle and you start figuring out, like, okay, how much money is that on the counter right there? You ever do that? We don't. Most of us don't. Because it doesn't really matter that much, right? It's flour. You can get five, I mean, you can get bags this big at Sam's, right? You can order, you can always get flour. It's not like they're in short supply. It's not gold. I mean, maybe during COVID it was, but, right? It's so easy for us to brush it aside, and yet Jesus says that's the kind of stuff that spreads. The yeast spreads, the leaven spreads. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's the thing. When you're making bread and the yeast is spreading, do you see it? No, what do you do? You cover it, right? A lot of times or it's in the bread maker. It's happening without being seen. So not only does the kingdom have unimpressive beginnings, it has unseen growth. And so when we think about what the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is doing in us, a lot of times what it's doing in our church, what it's doing in our community and around the world, a lot of times it goes unseen. And that's something we need to keep in mind. Because here's, here's what I, I want you to understand. <laughs> you may go through ups and downs as a Christian in your growth But God is committed to growing you into the image of Christ. So let's say you've had one of those weeks. Let's say you've had one of those weeks where you come here this morning and you say, Jason, I don't even know that I deserve to be called a Christian. I I, I don't know how it's possible that I would be considered someone who follows Christ. But, but there's another level on which that the gospel and, and the Holy Spirit is working on you unseen. There's a growth that is taking place. There's a growth that's taking place right now as you hear a sermon. That leaven is being, is being needed and, and it's being spread throughout. And you know how you know when that's taking place because you'll come to that point again where you knew last time you would have given in to that temptation. But for some reason this time you have the strength. You have the will. You have the desire to not give in to that sin again. What happened between point A and point B? That leaven was spreading. So the kingdom of God works often unseen. Now, why, why do we need to keep that in mind? Well, I'll suggest to you two reasons. Number one is because we love visible results. And I say that as someone, that's, that's more of a confession than anything, right? We live, you know, we talk about living by faith and not by sight. A lot of times we live by sight and not by faith. If, if we're not seeing visible returns and visible results, we tend to think, well, the kingdom of God is not on the, on the move, that it's not advancing, right? C.S. Lewis, and I'm just kidding, I'm not doing that again. 
But I do want to use another reference, uh, J.R. Tolkien. Uh, J.R. Tolkien has a, a, uh, a book, a short story called uh, Leaf. Um, and it's a short story about this character named uh, Niggle. And Niggle is just fascinated with one thing. All he wants to do is paint the perfect tree. All he wants to do is paint the perfect tree. And as you read the story, he, he gets frustrated because he realizes he has to do things like go to work and take care of uh, other things, take care of neighbors. He has responsibilities. And then uh, he has a trip coming up where he knows that he needs to pack and he needs to prepare. Um, he, he procrastinates a little, uh, but then he, he can't procrastinate anymore and he's it's time to leave and all he ever finishes is he has this big tree that he has kind of outlined in his house and all he ever finished was one leaf that's all he got done on this this great big work of art and he leaves and he gets stuck he can't really go back and then ultimately he never makes it back so he ends up going to another country and in that country he comes into contact with one of his neighbors and what they find there in that country is the tree that Niggle had always wanted to paint. It was actually something that God, uh, you know, we might say God had put in his mind. It, it was this desire that came from outside of himself for this, this huge, massive tree, this great work. And yet all he could ever get done was one perfect leaf. And one of the morals of the story is I think it's good for all of us to have aspirations. It's, it's good for us to want to see this great expanse of the kingdom. But, but when we talk about the kingdom growing unseen, instead of thinking about how can we grow the entire tree, I want to encourage you to think about what is the leaf that God is asking you to paint. The one thing to focus on, to see the kingdom grow to invest in. If the kingdom has unimpressive beginnings and it can grow unseen, then what is stopping you from investing in seeing the kingdom of God grow? We had our men's Bible study yesterday and we were going through Ecclesiastes and, and uh, I was encouraging them by reminding them that uh, um, they're, they're going to die. And that in, if the Lord tarries for a thousand years, nobody will probably remember them. And Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11, the sun's going to keep going, the rivers are going to keep going, the streams will continue flowing, the winds will continue blowing. And many, many years from now, uh, most of us will not be remembered at all, right? I told them, I said, uh, how many of us want to take a bet that Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11, any one of those verses will be Caleb's verse of the day. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But when we think about what we're going to invest in, what is it that's going to outlast us? What is it that is worth investing in? I think Jesus gives us the answer. It's the kingdom. How do you invest in the kingdom? By investing in people. And so here's what I want you to see. Jesus says that this kingdom grows and it grows through unimpressive beginnings, through unimpressive people, and it grows unseen. 
And so I think that calls each and every one of us here this morning to think about who can I invest in? Who can I plant seeds in? Who can I share the gospel, seek to grow in the gospel? Who can I invest in and leave the work, the results to God? When we think about this, these two parables, there's one other factor I want to bring to your attention, and it's this. You notice he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and that the man took and sowed in his field. But then he said it grows. But then in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed. Yes, it begins with unimpressive beginnings. Yes, the work often progresses unseen. But you know what's in each parable? There's a person. There's a person who's willing to plant. And there's a person who's willing to work. The kingdom of God has unimpressive beginnings and it grows unseen. But God has chosen to use his people to do it. The mustard seed does not grow if it's not planted. The yeast does not spread if it's not put in and mixed and spread. So while you may be encouraged that all this work happens, what we cannot do is take the promise that God will do it as an excuse for not working. Do you see that? Do you see how God is calling us to trust and obey? To trust that the kingdom of God will grow to trust that it will advance. And because of that, we stand up, we get to work. So, if you remember nothing else from this morning, I hope you remember this. Because the kingdom of God will advance, believers are invited to invest in the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God will advance, believers are invited to invest in the kingdom. And I want to simply close by reminding us, when we talk about unimpressive beginnings, I, fa I, I fear that we fail to understand just how unimpressive all of us really are. So let me remind you of just how unimpressive you were and are. Your life is a vapor. You will not be here long in the grand scheme of things. But not only that, because of being a human, because you were born a human being, you were born with a sinful nature, and that sinful nature manifested itself in rebellion and sin against God. You disobeyed God's commands, and therefore you deserve death. So you were spiritually dead. There's nothing more unimpressive than a corpse. And yet, the scriptures tell us that God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit chose some of those corpses, determined that they were going to save them. And God the Father sends his son Jesus and Jesus comes willingly and he lives a perfect life. He never sins. 
He keeps God's law, God's will perfectly, and he goes to the cross like we read in Galatians. He becomes a curse for us. He takes the penalty and the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and he bears it to the cross. And it's on the cross that God judges and pours out his wrath and his righteous judgment on Christ in our place. And then Jesus dies. And then three days later, he rises again. And in doing so, he saves his people. So that after that, all those that God had chosen now have been set free, have been cleansed, have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so now the Holy Spirit goes out and he makes sinners alive. He brings them to life. He deposits faith in in their hearts and they eventually place that faith in Christ. And so their unrighteousness is, is placed on Christ and Christ gives his righteousness to them. And they're justified. They're declared righteous. They're made right with God. And so everything about your salvation tells you just how unimpressive you are. There was nothing you could do to save yourself. There was nothing you could do to enter the kingdom. There was nothing that you could do to make yourself right with God. And that's why if you're a believer here this morning, there is nobody more unimpressive than you to take a gospel for unimpressive people and share it with other unimpressive people. There's no escaping it. If the kingdom of God is going to advance, we as believers are invited to invest in the kingdom. So how is God calling you to invest? Maybe you know God's calling you to become a Sunday school teacher or a Sunday school worker. Maybe you know that you need to be involved in VBS. Or maybe you don't know where you need to be involved, but you want to step out in faith and say, I'm willing to go wherever God needs me. Where is it that God wants you to invest? Maybe he wants you to begin investing in your family. What does that look like? It looks like Maybe setting aside time for family worship where you read the Bible as a family, where you pray together, where you talk about the sermon together. Maybe it's your neighborhood. You begin sharing little by little with your neighbors, building relationships. Maybe it's at work. I don't know, but God may be laying somewhere on your heart where he's calling you to invest in the kingdom. Will you trust and obey? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for this day, and we thank you, God, for the encouraging news of the kingdom, Lord, that we are called to to work in a very uh, promising and uh, glorious venture of spreading the kingdom. And Lord, we we all know, God, that we, we can't, We can't take on the world and and all the lostness in the world. And we can't do everything that there is to do. And and we praise you, God, that what you call us to do is to be faithful. 
with our leaf be faithful in the small areas where you've called us, God, to, to share and to see the gospel and the kingdom take root and grow. Lord, however you're leading, God, we pray that your people would trust and obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.